Welcome to the 109th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore of the Land Stewardship Project. If sustainable and organic farming systems are to play a significant role in agriculture, a lot of elements will need to fall into place. For one thing, a new generation of farmers who are interested in alternative approaches to producing food must be provided training and support. In addition, both market-based and policy-based incentives for farmers to adopt and utilize such systems need to be developed. A new approach to food and farming also requires the research and educational resources that land-grant institutions can provide. During the past few decades, such institutions have played a key role in propagating an industrial model of agriculture, which has resulted in numerous unforeseen economic, environmental, and health problems throughout our society. Bud Markart believes that if universities invested even a small portion of their resources into organic and sustainable agriculture, it could pay big dividends down the road. Markart, a professor of horticultural science at the University of Minnesota, sees our university classrooms, laboratories, and test plots as exciting opportunities for bringing about positive changes to food and farming. He knows what he's talking about. Markhart was trained as a biochemist and plant physiologist and spent his early academic career doing basic research. However, during the 1990s, the scientist turned his attention to researching and teaching about organic farming systems. Since then, he's done cutting-edge research on cold-resistant tomatoes, was instrumental in launching a student-run produce farm at the U of M, has developed and taught courses on organic agriculture and the role it plays in society, and has become the Sustainable Gardener columnist for Northern Gardener magazine, which is published by the Minnesota State Horticultural Society. He is currently involved in developing an organic agriculture major at the University of Minnesota. Markhart recently talked to me about taking a systems approach to agriculture, the increased interest in farming and local food systems he's seen on the part of students, and ways that universities and local communities can support a more sustainable approach to agriculture. At the beginning of this podcast, Markhart discusses a popular talk he regularly gives to students and other groups called, Can Organic Ag Save the World? As I looked into it, it just what I wanted to do in that, in that talk that I give is look beyond just the food production benefits of, of organic production, because we so much focus on that, that I wanted to look at other uh, aspects of a production system uh, and its benefits to the world. And so what I looked at was uh, fossil fuel use. I looked at uh, soil health and carbon sequestration in organic f- farms. Uh, I looked at, in, in the combination of soil health is uh, the need for irrigation and how much water a healthy, organic, rich soil can hold versus a depleted soil. So that if we're gonna use irrigation, the organic soil needs less irrigation to produce a crop than a conventional soil. So in terms of water use, fossil fuel use, carbon sequestration, uh, those sort of aspects of environment, in addition to the, uh, and then there's the erosion aspects uh, that, and all the things related to troubled waters and the runoff of nutrients and pesticides and soil that industrial agriculture promotes yeah, sort of all of those aspects of maintaining soil, water, uh, fossil fuel use, carbon sequestration. It's kind of like choose your environmental concern and look at how organic production systems can help. So, I mean, for example, if you really are concerned about global warming and 
greenhouse gases. You had the choice of planting a tree to sequester carbon, or you can start growing an organic garden. And the data is really clear about how much carbon can be sequestered in an acre of organically grown fields. And that, I think, is a message that needs to get out to the general public so that they can appreciate all of the things that growing things organically brings to our world, not just what they perceive as a healthier tomato, right? that there are so many other great benefits. And the last one that I really, that I emphasize a lot in this talk, because I think it's really important, that's the social justice aspects of our food system in terms of the farmer. Breaks my heart to hear the stories of increased Parkinson's disease, decreased sperm counts, decreased fertility in women in rural and in parts of our country that are related to the farming practices that are there. I remember when Nike was accused of using sweatshops in Southeast Asia and everybody boycotted Nike for a while in protest over the inhumane treatment of the workers. What about our farmers? Is our production system just as inhumane to the farm and farm families? The children of the farmers are suffering because of the, the way we vote with our food dollar. Our emphasis on cheap food at the cash register directly affects, I think, the human rights of our farmers. And that, I think, is an injustice that I'm hoping we will learn more about and that we, and that will not only do something in terms of policy, but that the public will be outraged enough that they will be willing to spend that extra amount at the grocery store at this point to buy food produced in a way that's healthy for the people producing it. I, I did a lot of uh, reading about production. I mean, the yield question still comes up. The comparison there, that's a huge discussion in its own right. I think it's unfair to ask that question in a way, and I don't mean to be to obfuscate the question, because I will try and answer it. But, I mean, the reverse question is, how much longer can industrial agriculture produce the quantity of, of and I'll say food in quotes, right. because so much of it's commodity production, not really food production, uh, that I think looking at those kinds of numbers, you know, I think we can produce, and I don't know if the question, I can't say enough. You know, I'm not sure. I don't know the full answer to that. All I do know is that in places where they have grown good organic product, the yields are comparable, if not greater, in the long run than the conventionally grown. Now, it's not true for corn. I'm not convinced that you can grow industrial corn organically. If that's your measure, it's a false measure. Those kinds of things, those are the wrong questions. I mean, and that's the kind of that thinking. Industrial corn, organic corn, which is going to yield more? Wrong question. Absolutely the wrong question. Uh, one of the studies that I remember that really in, in affected me was look, uh, a study that was done in Ethiopia in the Tigray, or Tigray region of Ethiopia where they compared what they called uh, ecological farming, which was essentially using compost as a fertility versus urea as a fertility agent. They taught the, the composting, they used the compost, they used the urea side by side same farms. Then they had a group from Sweden come in and quantify yields. The long-term benefit of the compost as a fertility source was just profound. Not only in terms of increased yield over 
the synthetic fertilizers, but also in terms of the profitability for the farmer. They didn't have to borrow money to buy the fertilizer because all of their fertility was coming from local sources. Huge, huge benefit. Uh, and that's the kind of, you know, at least local, and we think of organic, we think of local solutions. What are the solutions to the local environment? That's just such a great example of how we can have increased yields by using ecologically um, more sustainable, healthy methods as opposed to here's the solution, let's just bring in the tanks of urea and go to town. And I realized that organics was not substituting one input for another. It was not just what's the organic solution to this conventional chemical, but realizing that it was really a new way of looking at a farm. And, and part of that goes back to, I remember uh, coming across the quote where it claims that organic was first used in the literature to describe agriculture, and it was this guy, Lord Northbourne, in a book or an article he wrote, but he described in there the farm as essentially an organism where all parts have to work together. And that, to me, is a really useful model in viewing uh, what a, a healthy farm system is like or agricultural system is like. And that the, the new generation of professors need to be sure that they're open-minded enough to learn from farmers that are out there because there are some really creative, terrific problem solvers. Uh, I just hope the, the, that the university looks at them as a resource as much as possible. And I look at it you know, not just with their organic production, but this is getting a little bit sidetracked, but what you may think of is that we're not only looking at our farmers that are growing organically, but also the cultural and heritage differences that we have. I work with Native American farm up in Hugo, and that's another side of it. I think we really need to be open-minded in terms of alternative ways of knowing and the cultural differences that exist within our community and learn from the diverse populations, the diversity that we have in our cities uh, and in our rural communities and see them as a resource, not just uh, problems to be solved. I mean, the university oftentimes has had this approach where we'll go into a community, identify the problem, and here's the solution, rather than working with the community to uh, learn from them and look at them as a resource of knowledge. And in that way, then we can work as partners to solve problems. Right? And we the Somalian communities, the Karen farmers that are moving. I mean, there's a lot of real diverse. I'm on the board of directors of the Minnesota Food Association. So I have a lot of experience with the diversity of our uh, immigrant farming population. And it, they're just so interesting people, and they have so much knowledge to bring. Uh, to agriculture with their varieties and some of the techniques that again, we can learn from them as much as we can offer them. And, and then there's the whole policy aspect around uh, land and food in an urban environment. I mean, what are the policies that get in the way of local food production on urban lots? Uh, what do we do for soil remediation uh, in, ish in places where there's been contamination? One of the big questions that I have yet to see an answer to that I think is part of this whole urban planning is we talk about wanting to have more local food in the Twin Cities. And I was on some of the task force that Ramsey County had around local foods. The question that I asked that I could never find an answer to is how much local food do we want? I mean, what percentage? What's the goal? Right. I mean, by 2015, by 2020, do we want 40%, 50% to be grown locally? I, I don't know. 
And, and, but I think we need to start formulating some targets. If we have those targets, then we can start deciding how much land do we need to do that? And where is that land going to be? And those are cultural government kinds of questions that are critical for us to start answering. The people that are going to be developing those questions and answering those questions are the students now that are coming through this program that are coming from government, that are coming from the Humphrey Center, that are coming from Carlson, that are coming from urban studies and, and management. Uh, they're, hopefully they'll be the ones influencing the Met Council to think more than just about sewer systems and high density housing, but thinking about the land as food production and where and how are we going to preserve that for the metropolitan region. We've made conscious decisions at the government level to support bike paths and open space and parks. It seems like we are going to be, I'm hoping that we get to the point where healthy, and I, I equate healthy with organic in this case, or organic because it's healthy not just for the consumer but for the land and the farmer. So the big healthy. Government, the government needs to play a role in securing land for that general benefit. I'm not convinced, and this might be my own uh, my own bias, I'm not convinced that the marketplace is going to be able to do that. Uh, just like the marketplace wouldn't build bike paths, right? right. And the marketplace wouldn't preserve parks. Yeah, right. And uh, there needs to be a bigger initiative than that, and that's where I really see government playing a role. And that takes an informed populace that is going to elect the government officials, that's going to put the pressure on, that's going to raise those issues, say this is what's really important. That's, and hopefully there will be a, an awareness of there is a public good and that's a whole boy, the land grant and how the land grant university has lost the support of the public dollar. I mean, there are other people that know these numbers better than I have heard them, but if we were to look at how many billions of dollars have been invested in developing the, the land grant research that's gone into developing our industrial agricultural model, let's just take a fraction of a percent of that and invest it in organic research. Where are we going to go in the future? One of the hopes that I have is that the students that we're tr educating now in horticulture and in production practices will be the ones that make production different. Organic 15, 20 years from now is not going to be the same as it is now. It's going to take new science, new understandings, new research, new knowledge in order to make these systems more profitable. And I use that word profitable not just in terms of yield, but in that big picture of sustainable with the three, all three legs of the stool. I hope our students are going to make that different. And I think part of that is there needs to be an investment of resources for the common good in developing those alternative new production systems. It's not something where we flip the switch and we're going to go from one to the other, but we've got the opportunity to make those changes over time. And I'm hoping that our students are going to be part of making that change. For more information on organic and sustainable agriculture initiatives at the University of Minnesota, see the Minnesota Institute for Sustainable Agriculture website at www.misa.umn.edu. That's www.misa.umn.edu. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-722-6377.
Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. Thank you.